Well, again, happy Mother's Day, everyone. When you're a pastor and Mother's Day comes around once a year, pretty deep, huh? And then you're thinking, how can I come at it fresh one more time? Especially if you've been in the ministry for a while. And I was praying about this morning, Lord, what would you have for Mother's Day? And I thought about maybe dealing with uh, Rebecca and Leah. And I thought, well, what about Hannah? And I thought about, well, how did the Lord deal with uh, his mom while he's on the cross? And, and back and forth with these things. But I believe the Lord has given confirmation that we're going to be in Mark chapter 8 this morning, one of the confirmations was the choir song. I appreciate that, and, and boy, uh, uh, it's good to be in churches and have good music, amen. That's a blessing. I'm glad you all made it this morning. We're in the Gospel of Mark, chapter number 8, right after chapter number 7 in most of your Bibles, amen. For those visiting this morning... Uh, don't hold the pastor accountable. I'm not him. You know, you come back next week and enjoy him. Or come back tonight. Come back tonight and enjoy him. And uh, today I'll try not to mess anything up. Amen. <laughs> so here we are on Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day, everyone. Looks like everyone has found your place. If you can and are able, please stand with me to honor God's absolutely perfect word. Folks, this word is inspired. It is inerrant, it's infallible, meaning that it cannot record error or teach error. It is preserved, God has preserved it for all of eternity. Hallelujah. In fact, we can trust it with our soul for eternity. Amen? And we can trust it with the problems of the day. All right, I feel better now. We can get started. We're in Mark chapter 8. We're going to jump in this narrative about verse 31. Mark 8, 31. And he began to teach them, the context is Jesus, so I'll put his name there. And Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he spake that saying openly. And Peter took him and began to rebuke him. But when he had turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the, what's it say, church? Gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Father, I'm praying that should the lost be among us this morning, that they would be saved. I'm praying for the saved today, that you would stir our hearts to reach the lost. 
And Lord, I'm praying as well that you'd bless each mama that's here. Let her sense and feel how special she really is, how much you value her. And Lord, I'm praying that you'd meet with us now for Jesus' sake. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. Mark chapter 8 and verse 36, Jesus right here places a value of a soul. The Bible says, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Jesus places the value of a soul right here. And if you will, for an illustration purpose, uh, look up here just a second and think with me. How many have ever seen a scales and balances? You know the thing has a column in the middle, a couple of the branches that go out like this, maybe some string or chain and, and a bowl on this side and a bowl on this side, and you put stuff over here and you put stuff over here, and whichever way the thing happens to tip, that side's heavier. Have, have you seen that? Okay. If you would, picture, if you will, an eternal scales. And if you were to put the world on the one side and a soul on the other side, the soul's worth of value will outweigh that of the world every time. Now, amen. So the world in Mark chapter 8 is not the same world that's talked about in John chapter 3. In John chapter 3, you probably know this verse. If you do, quote it with me. Ready? Uh, verse 16, For God so loved the world. No, when I say quote it with me, it means same time, out loud, together. Okay? All right, let me try that again. Here we go. Ready? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Okay, the world in John 3 is the world, the people that make up the world. Amen? <laughs> Praise the Lord. So why did God send His only begotten Son? The answer is because the value that Jesus Christ places on a soul. Now, in Mark chapter 8, the, world, the word world is different from John 3, that world is talking about the people, but in John chapter 8, it's talking about the world or the world system, okay? And uh, I believe the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. So you don't have to turn there, but I'm going to reach over in 1 John chapter 2 to pick up the definition of what the Scripture says is the definition of the world. So in John chapter, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, the Bible says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever." So we see that the world is broken down into three pieces, if you will. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. If we were to look at those, the lust of the flesh, folks, I believe we could summarize that by saying that that is pleasure. 
Now, who doesn't like to have pleasure? <laughs> Amen. Well, pleasure, if you could have all the pleasure that this world has to offer, if you could have every thrill, if you could partake in every event that causes cheer of heart, if you somehow could live in a sustained state of euphoric, uh, folks, I mean, you, you would just have not have a care in the world. You're always on top. You just have that thrill. Every fun-filled event, you're a part of that. If you could have all that the world has to offer for pleasure, look at me now, you'll only have one-third of all that the world has to offer. I want you to catch the magnitude of this. That's quite a bit of all the pleasure that the world has to offer, but that's not all that the world has to offer. That's only one-third of what the world has to offer. Uh, the second part of this would be the lust of the eyes. That could be possessions. I mean, if you could have it all, if you could have every dollar, if you could have every ounce of gold, every piece of silver, every mountain of brass, if you could have every gem, if you could have every diamond, I mean, if you could have, if you could just flat have it all, if you could just have the whole world, you could have every sports car known to man, you could own every gun, you could have every golf club. <laughs> Not that you'd want them, but you could have them if you did. I mean, you owned the whole thing. You would only have one-third of what the world has to offer. If you add that to the pleasure, then that comes to two-thirds of what the world has to offer. Folks, I want you to grab the magnitude of how big and how much this world really does have to offer. The third part here is the uh, pride of life. We could talk about that being the position. Uh, if you were the president of the United States of America, if you at the same time could be the king or queen of every nation, the CEO of every firm, the president of every bank, the commander-in-chief of the military, the chief of police, the head of the FBI and the CIA. Uh, in fact, you could be the sheriffs of sheriffs. In fact, you could be the world dictator, and there's none above you in power or authority. You are the one. If you add all three of those together, folks, now you would have all that the world has to offer you, all of its pleasure, all of its possessions, all of its power and position and prestige. If you could have all of that and you place all three, the sum of three total of the world on this side of the scale, but on this side of the scale, you place just one, that's it, just one soul the weight of value of worth of that soul every time will outweigh what all three sum total of the value of the world is. The soul is worth more in value every time. Amen. So the Lord right here places the value on a soul. I'm wondering this morning, what we could get done for Christ if we valued souls as much as he does. I have a couple of questions as we get into this passage. The first is this. How much do you value a soul? There may be some mamas here 
that places a great value on a soul and begged or bribed or guilt uh, treatment or whatever what she had to do to get you here today. Well, thank you for coming. You should have just came because it's Mama's Day. Amen. And, And she may be praying for your soul. And I'm praying for your soul. If you're lost today, I pray you get saved. In fact, if anybody here today is lost, I pray that you get saved. Uh, but here's the thing. How much do you personally value a soul? Followed up by this question, what do you savor? What, what do you savor? In this passage, join me as we take a look to see what the value of a soul caused our Lord to do. See, it's easy for you and I to say, oh, yeah, we we value a soul. Sure, I mean, that's easy to say. But when we value a soul, it motivates to action. So Jesus wasn't just saying, hey, a soul is valuable and done nothing about it. Oh, no, 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 no. Because of the value of a soul, we're going to find that Jesus done several things. And the first is, here's number one, the value of a soul caused Jesus to leave heaven and to die for it. Here we are right back in our text. Look in verse number 31. Verse 31. Excuse me. It says, And he began, Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Notice that the Scripture says he must suffer. He must suffer many things. Folks, it wasn't just death that Jesus Christ had to deal with. He dealt with rejection. He dealt with humiliation. He came into his own. His own received him not. That was a must. He must suffer. And he also must be killed. Do you realize that on the triumphal entry, what we celebrate is Palm Sunday, as the Lord entered into Jerusalem that day on the donkey, and as people took their coats off and threw them away and put the, the twigs or, or the palm branches in the way, if that if that donkey would have stumbled and the Lord fell off and hit his head on a rock and died right there, that he could not have been your Savior. See, he must be killed. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Folks, Jesus Christ had to be crucified. He had to shed his blood. But hallelujah, it, it did not stop there. Praise the Lord. It said he must rise again three days later. That's the old time timeless truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He died for your sin. He was buried and he rose again. Hallelujah. Hell, amen. Well, he did that because you're valuable to him. He did that because of the value of a soul. Christ is leading the way in seeking and saving that which was lost So let us follow him. Now, I realize that you or I, we couldn't save anybody. But if we're going to follow Jesus and he's seeking the lost, then, folks, it would seem as though that you and I would also be concerned about those that are around us that are lost. Well, Jesus, number two, the value of a soul 
caused Jesus to enlist us to help him bring them to him. (laughs) That's a long point, I know. So I'll run it by you again in case you're taking notes. Here it is. The value of a soul caused Jesus to enlist us to help him bring them to him. If you're not taking notes, the point is the value of a soul caused Jesus to enlist us to help him bring them to him. Yeah, amen. He called his the people and he called his disciples to follow him. Look with me right here, verse 34. It says that when he had called the people unto him with the, his disciples also. So there it is. He's called both of us. He's called us to follow him. However, I'm for soul winning. I know your pastor's for soul winning. I'm sure you're for soul winning. But it's not soul winning at any cost. It's not go out and win a few souls to Jesus that you're in some kind of merit to where you can go live for the devil for a little while because you had it coming because you've earned up some brownie points. That's not the case. It's not soul winning at any cost. In fact, Jesus said that we come after him, yea, follow him, that there's some instructions we must follow. And he said one of those is that you and I must deny ourselves. It said right there, uh, right here, whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So this word deny, I looked it up. I looked it up in the book of Strong's, and, and it said to deny utterly. <laughs> now, don't you like it when you look it up in the dictionary and it uses the same word in the definition? Now, you and I both know you're not supposed to do that. Because if it's deny, then deny utterly. I still don't know what deny is. <laughs> okay, I'm the only one that looks in the dictionary, apparently. It means to disown. It means to abstain. Also looked it up in Thayer's Dictionary, and here's what it said. To affirm that one has no acquaintance or connection with someone. Oh, no acquaintance or connection with someone. So if I walk up to you, somebody walks up to you and says, Hey, do you know Brother David? Oh, I don't know who. I don't know him. But in context, we're deny ourselves. So when we're talking about that, then I say, Hey, do, do I know Terry? He's like, Terry who? I'm denying that I even know him. Why? Because my flesh gets in the way of serving the Lord. Yeah. So I need to deny myself. <laughs> uh, the second definition of there says to forget oneself, to lose sight of oneself and one's own interests. Oh, boy, there it is. To lose sight of myself. That means I'm denying my goals and my plans and my ambitions And I'm setting aside my will for his will. If I'm going to follow him, there's going to be some cost involved in that matter. Does that make sense? Okay. So we're to deny ourselves. You know, Brother Paul, Apostle Paul, he put it this way. For me to live is Christ. Can we say that this morning? For me to live is Christ. Wow, that's, that's powerful. If we're always worried about what we want, getting our own way, that's not denying. That's selfish. So one must take up his cross. Notice it says his cross. In other words, it's a personal cross. To take it up, to embrace it, our trials, 
our suffering. Sometimes, folks, when, when we're dealing with souls and for the Lord, and we're denying ourselves, and, and, and here we are, uh, how do we put that? We're, we're giving that up, we're, we're taking up the cross. Sometimes that includes deference. Does anybody know what deference is? It means to give consideration. It means to give each other some room. My family and I, we travel in a fifth wheel. It's under 400 square feet on the inside of that fifth wheel. Now, there's six of us. If you divide that by 400, that means neither, none of us have any real space. And you throw the dog in on top of that who thinks he owns half the thing, then <laughs> you don't have much space at all. So we have a joke in our family. Sometimes you just need to give somebody some space. And folks in a marriage, sometimes we need to give each other some space. We need to give our children space. Children need to give the parents space. And might be some brothers and sisters in the church at odds each other. Hey, 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 that's being selfish. That's not denying. It's hindering the work of Christ. If we're going to follow him, we have to deny ourselves, take up our cross. There's going to be some cost involved. We have to give each other some space. It's deference. <laughs> we have another joke. Here it is. Sometimes people need a football field. <laughs> okay, I thought it was funny. One must take up his cross. You know, Paul, he, he put it like this. I die daily. Folks, that means we have to die to our dreams, our goals, our plans, our ambitions, if I intend on following Jesus Christ. And one must follow the Lord, but hallelujah, we have a promise on this, that we don't have to do it on our own. And Matthew 4, 19, it says, And Jesus saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Hey, look, look up here at me a second. If I'm following Jesus, then Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men. So sometimes we can sit in our churches, and we have on our Sunday best with our big smile, and we're all involved in, in the machinery of, of, uh, of the ministry and making things happen. And it's easy to allow that to cloud the value of a soul. Because if you and I are living holy lives, and we need to be living holy lives, and if we're following Jesus, and we need to be following Jesus, then Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men. When's the last time you talked to somebody about Jesus? When's the last time you handed a track out to someone? Folks, if we're really following him, he said he's going to make that, he's going to work that in us. That's going to happen. So, do we go soul winning? When the preacher has soul winning or visitation or whatever he calls that here where we're doing an outreach time, I'm, I would want to believe that the whole church shows up. But I don't believe that. I haven't ever seen that happen. But it would be exciting if it did. And here's what I've been encouraging people over the whole country. Well, it's not the whole country. I've only been in half. I've been encouraging people in half the country. And here it is is that everybody, yep, everybody come out for visitation and soul winning. And here's what I mean. 
You say, well, brother, my knees, I can't do the steps anymore. I can't do the sidewalks. I understand that. God understands that. But if the whole church, I mean, everybody comes out for visitation, watch now, and those who can go, go, and those who can't go, get up here and sit on the front pew because you can't get on your knees, and you pray for those going, then I'm just thinking that you're liable to start seeing a harvest of souls again right here at Northern Park Baptist Church. We start seeing people get born again because the whole church, I mean, every one of you come, and those who can go, go. And those who can't, stay. And they pray for those who can. And I believe you start seeing people get saved and praying to God would lead them to the person closest to hell, and He'd prepare the hearts before they get there. And folks, the Lord wants to see people saved in Greenwood way more than any of us. And I believe we just get tapped into what He values. It's going to change the life of this church. Amen. Amen. <laughs> so that brings us to number next. Three, in case you lost your place. Peter is not the only one who does not savor us the things of God. Peter's not the only one who doesn't savor the things of God. Back to our text, verse 31 again. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he spake that saying openly. And Peter took him and began to rebuke him. What? Peter, you're, you're just a dirt pot and he's God. What are you doing? Verse next says, verse 33. And when he had turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. If we were to take time to read the whole passage, and we're not going to, and to read the parallel passages of the same account, we would find where Jesus was talking to his men and he was asking them, whom do men say that I am? And they would say, well, some say you're Elijah, some say you're the prophet, and they go through a list. And then uh, Peter says, or then Jesus says, whom do ye say that I am? And Peter said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And God said, Jesus congratulated him, that's right, and you know that because God revealed it to you, and and Peter, I'm going to build my church. And he called him Peter. And he said, upon this rock, I'll build my church upon that timeless truth of the fact that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, is which what he founded and built his church upon. Amen. Okay. <laughs> and when he called him Peter, that was uh, uh, Petra, which means rock or pebble. No, no, it's Petros, meaning pebble. And up on this rock, that's Petra, meaning like a, a mesa with a cliff kind of thing. So that foundation is a rock. So he's, he's calling Peter a rock, uh, a pebble, if you will. Uh, here's one, uh, Rocky. Okay, if you have seen that, I can tell by your smile. So Peter's like, yeah, I'm Rocky. This is good. Okay, a few verses later, five, six verses later, Jesus says, hey, 
I must die. I must suffer many things. And I must rise again. And Peter's thinking, Lord. Lord, Lord. And he begins to rebuke Jesus. He's like, what? Peter, you're dirt pot. And this is Jesus. What are you doing? He got feeling pretty good about who he was. And y'all know who Peter is? Peter's one of the twelve. Okay? So Peter's one of the twelve, so he's on the in crowd with Jesus. And not only is he one of the twelve, he's one of the inner circle. The three, the big three, you know, you got Peter, James, and John. You've heard of the inner circle? So he's part of the inner circle. And from my reading of the scripture, the implication is like Peter, he's the boss. I mean, he's the one, he's the leader at least. He's the leader of this inner circle. So we're not talking about Joe Smo out here that's, that's running with the devil. We're talking about Peter. Everybody with me? So here's Peter, pebble, rocky, okay? And he's rebuking Jesus. And Jesus said, Peter, you don't savor us the things that belong to God. Now, time out, time out. Come on this side with me. If we were to talk to Peter, say, hey, Peter, say, hey, what's up? Uh, do you savor the things of God? Peter's like, like well, well, yeah. Because he's like the apostle. And he's part of the inner three. And he's the leader. So he would say, yes. With me? So Jesus said, oh, no, you don't. In fact, you not only don't savor the things that belong to God, you do savor the things that belong to men. So the reason I believe this is so applicable to you and I, folks, one, we're no Peter, okay? But I don't think that any of you is out here dancing with the devil either. So I'm talking about Northern Park Baptist Church. And if we're to use the pulpit representation of God's position, and we're walking right here with him, man, it's close. But, folks, what happens is when we get caught in the machinery of ministry and things begin to cool off and our, and our value of a soul diminishes and we just kind of, our vision gets clouded, here's what happens. We, we kind of, well, we're about right here. I mean, we can still touch and we can still reach out. We're, we're not out and out in the gutter, but, but we're only about a foot and a half. And what I'm going for this morning is that foot and a half, folks. It's time for this church to come back to the Lord and value what He values and savor what He savors and turn from savoring the things of man. And when we're out here like this and our visions get clouded and we begin to value other things, we're caught up in the robotics of this and we've missed that worship time and our devotions aren't what they used to be. And the next thing you know, well, we can't reach it anymore and we've drifted farther and I'm calling the church by the grace of God, let's come back to the Lord and have Him give a revival of a value of our soul and our heart that we begin to seek His things and savor His things again rather than the things of men. Amen. Wow. So I'm thinking, wow, Peter, you blew it, Bubba. And I look in the mirror and I'm thinking, oh, hey, Terry. Yeah, this Bubba blew it too. So I thought, well, since savoring's a big deal in this passage, I better look it up and see what savor means. So Thayer's dictionary said, 
it carries the idea to be of the same mind. That is, agree together. Cherish the same views. Be harmonious. <laughs> when I think of it on my side, I think of the times I had the privilege to eat a ribeye on the bone still. That's what I think about savoring. And my wife's been with me, so she can testify that I'm not exaggerating this. I'll take a bite of that and I go, oh, yeah. I even say that sometimes. Oh, yeah. This is good. And I try. I'm not very successful. I try to eat it slow to savor every bite. Y'all with me? So here's Peter. Jesus just called him Rocky. And now Jesus began to bury his heart. And Peter rebukes him. And Jesus looks at the people and he rebukes Peter and says, Hey, you don't savor what I savor. Hey, Peter, we're not on the same page on this. We're not harmonious. We, we don't value the same things here together. We're not of the same mind. But if you and I would have asked Peter, Peter would have said, Oh, yeah, I savor the things of God. But Jesus said he didn't, so I know he didn't, because Jesus is not lying, and he knows the truth. And I'm asking this morning, if you were to ask Northern Park this morning, do you savor the things of God, or do you savor the things of men? Now, the natural tendency is, well, of course I savor the things of God, but I'm asking you, according to the Holy Spirit right now, speaking to our hearts, do you savor the things of God? Are you on the same page with Jesus right now? What, what is, uh, are you harmonious? You say, well, Brother Danford... On the same page with him about what? What are the things? What are the what are the things of God? Thou savest not the things of God. Then what are the things of God? Context, context, context. In context, what was Jesus talking about? A soul. You can't get around that. The whole passage, Jesus is talking about a soul. So, Peter, you're not on the same page with me when it comes to souls. We're not harmonious here. We're not of the same mind. We're we're not agreed on these things. In fact, Peter, you savor the things of men. Well, I have to say, folks, that I'm fully convinced that Peter is not the only one that savors the things that belong to man. And I would say that this is the reason that we don't see young people being called the missions like we used to. Yeah. Because we savor the things of men. Savoring the things of God is the value of a soul. Some used to leave land and houses and family in pursuit of a soul. And now today, I believe God's still calling people to the mission field. I just don't believe anybody's answering. Well, most aren't answering the phone. I mean, think about it. Who wants to go to Africa? They have mosquitoes there like the size of basketballs. And snakes big enough you could ride like a horse. 
Or you can stay in America with air conditioning and Long's Bakery. I mean, let's be real, huh? Yeah, well, that one hit a button, didn't it? Yeah. And I'm just saying, why do I want to go do that? And the Lord may be saying, because you don't savor what I savor. Well, then what is it that men savor? Well, uh, folks, I believe that some savor sports and entertainment. Yeah, I believe it gets in the way. We don't value the soul like Jesus does. Some savor sports and entertainment. To give an example, I heard the last last blockbuster thing was this in-game, $1.2 billion. That's a lot of money. Back, if your pastor had 10% of that, I'd call him a very rich man. Yeah, amen. He probably wish he had 10% of that. Then he could pay somebody else to do that tile floor. Amen. He wouldn't have to paint that room anymore. <laughs> That's a lot of money. And think about how we, the sports arena, how you pay a bunch of pigheads to carry a pigskin down a field and they beat each other up. And people go, woohoo, let's do it again. I mean, we savor the wrong things. We savor the things of men. Some savor pleasure. It's the lust of the flesh. Even the Bible both told Timothy that in the last days that the people be lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. It's about what makes me feel good. It's about what makes me happy. It's about my personal comfort. It's all about me. And by the way, going for souls isn't always comfortable. Is it? Some savor the things of men. Savoring their possessions, the lust of the eyes, the love for their toys, their houses, their cars, their careers. It's all about me. It's all about mine. All I want is more and more and more. And some savor the things of men. They savor their, the, the lust of the eyes, or the, I'm sorry, the pride of life. Uh, they savor their positions and their power. And I am the man. And besides... Uh, what are people going to think at work if I talk about Jesus? Is this making sense, folks? Peter's not the only one that savors the things of men. Peter's not the only one that savors not the things of God. And I just want to show you right here in our text what Jesus has to say about this. It's in verse 35. Look at it. Mark 8:35 It says, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake in the Gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Here it is, verse 38. Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me, that's not savoring, and of my words, that's not savoring the things of God, in this adulterous and sinful generation, hey, that's where I live, Of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with with the holy angels. Folks, I do not want when Jesus Christ to come back and the first time I see him face to face, look at me, look at me, he goes like this. I don't want that. When he comes back and I see him for the first time, 
see a smile. And I want to see him hear him say, Welcome home, son, thou good and faithful servant. And if I'm that close and get to you, I'll just go ahead and give him a hug right there, you know, and drop to his feet with my arms around his legs and tears in my eyes to tell him, Thank you for saving my soul. Amen. Folks, what are you savoring? Now, I'm not picking on you. We went after Peter today, but none of us are Peters. And I'm thinking, Peter's not the only one with this problem. And if you're lost this morning, you don't value your own soul. Folks, Jesus left heaven to die for you. In fact, if you was the only sinner on the whole planet, he valued you so much that he still left heaven and come and die for you. Because you remember, he's the one to set the context. He's the one to place the value right here by saying, if you add up all some total of the three parts of the world, of the pleasure and the power and the prestige of the, uh, of the wealth and the, well, all the world together on one side and, and just one soul over here, the value and weight of that soul soul tips the scales every time he values you he loves you he died for you he died to give you life if you're here this morning without christ i behoove you i beseech you i'm begging you this morning to repent of your sin and call on jesus to save your soul you're worth it to him you're valuable to him he loves you He left it all, the splendors of heaven, manifesting himself in the flesh and the womb of a virgin named Mary, born in a stinking feeding trough in a town called Bethlehem, lived a perfect, sinless life. And when he died on the cross, he shed pure and holy and sinless blood that he could pay for your sin. And hallelujah, it didn't stop there. He took his blood and went into the heavens, into the tabernacle not made with hands. And he himself became our propitiation. And with that very literal blood right there was a satisfactory sacrifice that met the holy demands of God. So now he can offer you mercy and he can offer you grace don't send it away I'm begging you this morning you're valuable to Jesus won't you get saved and if you're saved already do you value a soul what do you savor use this in a few places I'm assuming this is like those that a lot of men in our church carry I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you're carrying in fact I hope your wife's carrying too because I think it's cool it's right okay but why is it I've left the house many times I remember my weapon but I haven't remembered my tracks. Could it be because Mr. Evangelist here doesn't savor the things of God like I want to think I do? Is that why there's been many times I'd leave somewhere like Walmart or out to the store or whatever errand I was on and have to ask God to forgive me I didn't have any tracks with me. 
And I passed the guy on the way out, and the Spirit of God nudged me and said, Tell him about me. I didn't have a track. Lord said, Just so you know, his blood's on your hands. And I asked the Lord to forgive me for not saving the things of him. easy to get busy and caught up in the ministry and the machinery of it all and lose the value of a soul. But folks, Jesus reminded us in Mark 8, what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? If you're here this morning and you're lost, you don't have all the world has to offer. You don't have all its possessions. You don't have all its wealth. You don't have all of its power. What could you possibly <laughs> kill in exchange for your soul? None of us in here even have a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of all that the world has to offer. And if we did have it all, it still wouldn't be enough to trade for your soul. Gain the whole world and lose your own soul. What profit was there to spend the eternity in hell? I'm pleading with you this morning to get saved. And I'm pleading with the church this morning. We need to come ask Jesus to forgive us for not being harmonious with him. For not valuing the same things he values. For not being on the same page he's been on. And help us leave here agreed together with him again value of a soul. Father, we're before you. I'm asking you to help us now. Lord, please save the lost. Please revive the saved to give us a burden for souls again. Help us for Jesus' sake. Heads about, eyes are closed, everyone standing. Everyone standing. Every head bowed, every eye closed, this is the invitation. If you're new and a visitor, maybe you're not familiar with this, this is where the Lord's put on your heart to get saved. You step out and come. We can take the Bible and introduce you to Jesus. This is the part for the Christians. Maybe you had not been the altar for a while. Come ask God, forgive you for savoring the wrong things and give you a burden for souls again. Let's go win somebody to Jesus. Father, before you have your way and will now, in Jesus' name.